This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We'll move into a time of scripture reading. So I'd like to invite uh, Cheryl. Shirley, up. Today's reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. It's up on the screens. Luke, chapter 5, starting at verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the towels into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their face, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. This is the word of God. Okay, welcome to 2023. We're going to begin by looking at a recap of what we learned last year from Luke chapter 1 to 16. So why don't we go to God in prayer now and to ask God to help us in understanding his word. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly we want to ask that as the author of your word, that you will help us through the Holy Spirit to understand what your word says, that it may be powerful and clear to us, and fill us with conviction and certainty over Jesus and our response to him. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Certainty. That's what my friend tells me whenever I try to share the good news of Jesus with him. He always says to me, you know, I can't accept Jesus because I can't have certainty. Now, I'm sure that all of us have met people who perhaps have said that to you. You know, I can't get certainty. I I can't get certainty and therefore I'm not really sure about this person, Jesus. Now, that makes me a bit sad and upset at the same time. Because at the very same time where my friend says that he can't find certainty in this person of Jesus, but yet, for so many of my friends, they can find certainty about other things and about other people in this time. So, I'm sure most of you will know who this person is, right? So... If you don't know who this person is, come and speak to me later. But uh, this is Lionel Messi, obviously. And you could say with certainty and conviction and uh, 
great deal of uh, definiteness that Lionel Messi is one of the greatest footballers who ever lived, right? Uh, he's won seven Player of the Year awards, okay? So he's obviously a very, very good player. For Barcelona, he's won 10 La Liga titles. He's won the Champions League four times. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, he won what is finally, I suppose, the crowning glory of his career, the World Cup. Now, I guess we can all say with some degree of certainty, he is one of the greatest football players who's ever strapped down football boots. Now, that's not just our opinion. That's the opinion of many writers, right? So you can buy books about how Lionel Messi, the best soccer player the world has ever seen. Lionel Messi, the best of the best. You can, Lionel Messi, the greatest. Or you can watch documentaries on YouTube, right? Lionel Messi, world's greatest player. And so these books and these documentaries are written with a conviction and certainty that Lionel Messi is really, really great. In the same way, as we come to the book of Luke last year, we could also see that Luke's purpose in writing his book was to also give us certainty. Certainty about the greatness of Jesus Christ. In our responsive reading, we read how Luke started his uh, gospel by saying, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke's purpose is for us to have certainty, certainty about Jesus. And he's not just giving us that certainty because, you know, he says so, but right at the very front, he gives us very reasons to believe in the certainty of what he's teaching us, that these things have been fulfilled among them based on eyewitness accounts, and he's carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So Luke's purpose, right from the very start, is for people to have certainty about Jesus Christ, about his greatness. Now, if you read books about Lionel Messi, or you watch the documentaries about Lionel Messi, how do they display the greatness of Lionel Messi? They don't display it in terms of statistics, right? Just as I showed you, obviously that's part of it. But if you read books and uh, docu watch documentaries of Lionel Messi, they're full of events, li real-life events, real-life stories that encompass Lionel Messi's life. Did you know, for instance, that when Lionel Messi joined his junior team in uh, Argentina, his team went like undefeated for like three seasons, and like uh, even within Argentina, his home, like that youth team, is celebrated, you know, for like being undefeated and uh, defeating everyone in Argentina. Stories about the first time he played for Argentina and the first time he played for Barcelona. So in the same way, Luke has organized his material, right, as a collection of real-life events or real-life stories telling us the greatness of Jesus. And so Luke has organized his story to date, as we've seen, in three main sections, or the structure of three main sections in the book of Luke. So in chapter 1 to 4, you have the birth and the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. In chapter 4 to 8, you have Jesus and his Galilean ministry where he goes through Galilee, the region of Galilee, and he does his ministry. In chapter 9 to 16 onwards, you see him moving towards Jerusalem. If we look at uh, the, 
what these sections focus on, the first section really focuses on who is Jesus. The second section is the actions of Jesus and his Galilean ministry. And the last section that we were looking at last year was Jesus going to Jerusalem and challenging uh, disciples on how to follow him, discipleship. So let's begin today by looking at chapter 1 to 4 and just do a recap, right, of who is Jesus, who exactly is Jesus. Well, right from the very beginning, Luke tells us that Jesus is very special, right? He's very special because of his virgin birth, but more than that, because of who he is as a person. So the angel says to his mother Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, Luke's not interested in what Jesus looks like, right? Because Jesus is not going to grow up to be a supermodel. Neither is he interested in Jesus playing soccer, because I guess Jesus wasn't really a footballer. But that's not what's important or great about Jesus, right? What's great about Jesus is that he is a king. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. But he's not just any king. He is an eternal king. His kingdom will never end. And he's the long-promised king who God had promised the greatest king of Israel, that his throne would never end. And we see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God had promised his great forefather, David, that his kingdom will never end. And here, Jesus will establish his throne forever and ever and ever. Now, I have a Christian friend of mine who, uh, I guess, is a bit, uh, I think, uh, confused in some of his ideas. He was telling a, a friend of mine that actually, as Christians, we don't need to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament is really, really important. Just focus on Jesus, right? Focus on the New Testament. But you can see that that's a very wrong attitude to the Bible, right? I mean, God gave us 66 books in the Bible, and 39 of those are in the Old Testament. And the reason why God gave us the Old Testament was because it is promising and pointing to the coming of Jesus. Now, so the coming of Jesus is not just a flash in the pan. He is the long-promised eternal Christ. He is the one for whom the whole of history is looking forward to. So you think about it, right? You think about the... The greatest footballers the world has ever seen, like Pele, okay, unfortunately he died just a few days ago, Maradona, Messi, even Ronaldo. But who knows, right? Maybe somewhere on the fields of South America or Europe or maybe even Asia, right, somewhere, there is another one who's going to come up who's going to be even greater than all of those players. But that's not the case for Jesus, right? Because the Old Testament tells us that God has promised that there is only one Christ, one eternal Messiah, and that one has already come in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus is so special, because he's the long-promised Christ, the eternal King. And Luke wants us to be sure of that. Luke also tells us that the person of Jesus is special and is great, not only just because he's the long-promised Christ, this King, but of who he is, his very nature. So the time of his baptism... The heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him bodily. And the voice from heaven said, You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus is special. He is special. All of himself is special because 
He is the Son of God. He is by very nature divine and godlike. Now that explains how he can be the eternal king. Because humans by very nature will die, but the divine and God do not die. And so the very nature of Jesus, the very fabric of Jesus, his very person, because he is godlike, allows him to be this eternal Christ. Now, to be a king, I guess it's quite common. To be Christ is very rare. But to be God, well, that's unique, right? And I think that because it's hard for us to really believe in the certainty that someone can really be God, Luke has arranged a collection of life events to show us that Jesus really is God, right? That he is really God in himself. And so, if in the first section, chapter 1 to 4, in the birth or beginning of Jesus, we are told that Jesus is God's son, then in the action section, which is chapter 4 to 8 in his Galilean ministry, it seems as if that Luke has compiled a collection of events, of real-life events of Jesus, to show us that he truly is God. He is truly divine in himself. So there's a whole collection of stories around Galilee which show Jesus doing these miraculous things that only God can do. And so, if you recall last year, he was out in the Sea of Galilee with his disciples as this huge storm came and they were all threatened to be swamped. Jesus woke up and with a word he rebuked the storm and it was all calm. Now for the Jews, only God can speak and nature obey. Right? In Genesis chapter 1, when God created the world, God spoke and things came to being. In the same way, when Jesus speaks, things come into being. He speaks and he's powerful over nature. Again, in that collection of stories, oops, Jesus confronts this demon called Legion, which means many, right? Which had possessed this man who could not be tamed by other humans. And again, Jesus with a word casts out the demons into the pigs, if you remember. And again, who can do this? Only God can have power over these satanic forces. Again, Jesus did this great miracle where with five loaves and two fish, a one-person meal, he fed 5,000 men by 1,000 plus women and children and still had 12 basketful left. Again, this recalls God's wonderful provision when God's people were escaping from Egypt in the Exodus and he brought them out of Egypt into the promised land and for 40 years he provided them manna from heaven. See, only God had the power to provide for his people, the multitudes in the Exodus. And here God, in Jesus, does the same thing. Lastly, if you remember, Jesus also appeared to disciples in what was called the Transfiguration, where they had a vision of Jesus appearing in heaven together with Moses and Elijah. And they actually see a glimpse of Jesus' true identity as his glorious God. Now, I want to spend a second just looking at this event, the transfiguration. And I want you to notice what happens here, because actually it's quite important as we look at the big picture, how Luke actually connects all these events together, right? So look at what it says here. After eight days, Jesus said this, uh, sorry, about eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up into a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as lightning. And two men 
Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor, speaking, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. Now, as we are able to look at the big picture, which is really good, right? Because we can sort of span the whole of what we studied last year. You can see that Luke has deliberately recorded for us something significant, right? Because at Jesus' beginning of his ministry, at his baptism in Luke chapter 3, God speaks from the voice of heaven, you are my son who I love, with you I'm well pleased. And at the end of the Galilean ministry section, Luke records for us this transfiguration and the voice from the cloud says, this is my son whom I've chosen, listen to him. And so what Luke is really trying to do for us here is to show right from the beginning through to the end of the Galilean ministry, this certainty that Jesus is God's son, that he is in his very nature divine, he is God-like. So what do we learn just looking at this like, overview of the book of Luke so far? Luke's purpose is for us to have certainty. That Jesus is the long-promised Messiah of Christ, the eternal one, <clears throat> and he is the son of God. But Luke is not just interested in showing us who Jesus is, but the fact that Jesus has come to earth to do something. He's on a mission. He has a purpose. So Luke is also very interested in the mission of Jesus. Now, a few years ago, I came across this really, really good movie, which I'd like to recommend to you. Okay, it's called Julia and Julia. Uh, it's not a romantic movie. Okay, so if you're, if you're a guy, you can still watch it. But actually, it has to deal with food. There's lots of food in it and lots of cooking. So, as Singaporeans, we all like food, right? Maybe not so much cooking, but the food is really good. And it's a true story about this uh, woman called uh, Julia Child. Okay? She's this American uh, woman who basically uh, popularized like, cookbooks and you know, cooking shows and things that we watch on, I guess, uh, Food Channel today, right? So, like, Food Channel wouldn't exist without this woman, Julia Child. Okay? So, she, her mission, in a sense, was to teach people how to cook and cook well. Well, Jesus' uh, mission was not cooking, right? But as we can see in the book of Luke, uh, Jesus' mission was actually to be a savior. So right from the very beginning again, in that first section, Luke tells us very clearly, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, Jesus comes as this eternal, long-promised king, as the son of God with a mission to save. You can't miss it, right? You can't miss it when you read a book, Luke, because over and over again, in that first section, the words which keep being repeated are saviour, salvation, Redemption. Redemption is another word for rescue, right? Redemption is when I rescue you from something. 
So follow with me, just in the early sections. Look, look at Luke chapter 1. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. And in verse 76, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Luke chapter 2, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory to your people Israel. Luke chapter 3, as is written in the book of Isaiah, the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, every valley will be filled in, and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. So you can see here that Jesus is, what? Coming to save people, right? He's a savior, he's a redeemer. And that's what we see. As we see in the early part of his ministry, like he's healing people, he's casting out demons, but, but he doesn't draw attention to all these miracles as if he's some sort of, you know, like a carnival showman or something. But he is drawing attention to the fact that he's actually come to save people. So in our reading today, the Bible reading, we read of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. Remember? But Jesus doesn't make a big deal of the healing of the paralytic. What he's trying to make a big deal of is the fact that he comes to forgive sins. He comes to save people from their sins. So Jesus said, when he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. See what is Jesus coming to do? Jesus is coming to save through the forgiveness of sins. Again, there was a very famous incident that we looked at last year where the sinful woman came. And remember, she broke this perfume and poured it on Jesus and with her tears washed his feet. Jesus doesn't draw attention to that or feel awkward, right? But again, draws attention to forgiveness. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So we see here that last year we saw that Jesus, who he is, and his mission to save to the forgiveness of sins. And so we've seen these three sections, right? The birth and the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, his Galilean ministry, and then going to Jerusalem. 
But now, as we come to the first part of this year, 2023, we're going to look at the last quarter of the book of Luke. The last quarter of the book of Luke really focuses on what is called the passion of Jesus. Now, passion, we think in terms of like love and sexuality and everything, but passion just basically means strong emotions, right? The passion. And the passion of Jesus is to go to the cross, right? To go to the cross to fulfill the mission and the person that he is, a saviour and to redeem people. So what we're going to do now as we look at the the last part of uh, Luke, the rest of the year is really look at the passion of Jesus and him moving to the cross and fulfilling what he has come to do to save people from their sins. So if we want to kind of break up the book of Luke, we can see it this way. So it's kind of like a geographic structure, right? The birth and beginning of Jesus' ministry and then the action of Jesus in Galilee as he moves down and then Jesus' mission going towards Jerusalem, where everything will reach its final fulfillment and completion. And we're going to be focusing on that for this part of Luke. The final work of Jesus in Jerusalem, where he will enter into Jerusalem, he will go to the cross, and he will rise again. Now, it's interesting because when you read the biographies of Lionel Messi or you read the documentary or you watch the documentaries or you read about Julia Child, the authors of uh, those biographies or the makers of those documentaries, they're not really interested in your response. Lah. They'll tell you about how great Lionel Messi is, or, you know, what an influence Julia Child is. But they're not really interested in your response. You can read about Lionel Messi but you may never kick a soccer ball, right? Or you may read about Julia Child but you never cook a, a ball or egg in your life. But the thing about uh, the book of Luke is, a lot of Luke is about our response, the response of people to Jesus. It's not a neutral book where we can sort of read just for information, but it's actually calling for us to respond to this Christ, to the Son of God who comes to save us. As we go through the book of uh, Luke, we see that there's this constant like background music or background call of people to come to faith and to follow Jesus, like interspersed over and over again in the book of Luke. There are all these people coming to Jesus in faith and following him. And they're all the outcasts and all the unexpected people who come to Jesus. So, you have the Roman centurion following the Jewish king, right? You have the tax collector and the sinners coming and following Jesus. You have the sinful woman following Jesus. You have the crippled woman, the woman who's bleeding, the poor woman. They all follow Jesus. You have the demon possessed following Jesus. You know, the guy who's possessed by legion, he also ends up following Jesus. You have the poor following Jesus. You have the fishermen following Jesus. And over and over again in the book of Luke, we see that as Luke draws out these people who are following Jesus, there is this constant theme of faith and following Jesus, and giving up all things to follow Jesus. And so, the Roman centurion, right? When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Again, the woman, the sinful woman who broke the, the perfume and cried and wept at Jesus' feet. 
Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And again to Levi, the tax collector. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the day of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. See, Jesus is not just coming to the world so that we watch him on TV and we celebrate him scoring goals or we read his cookbooks. But really, all of us here are called to have faith and to follow him because he's the one who's come to save people through forgiveness of sins. And so what do we learn today? Well, in preparation for our series on Luke coming up, we've learned about the person of Jesus, that he's the long-promised eternal king, the Christ. He is the son of God in himself. He is saviour. And he's come to save through the forgiveness of sins, and he calls people to faith and to follow Jesus. Now, in conclusion, um, when I was in uh, university, I used to play basketball. Now, that might be surprising to you, given how tall I am. Um, but I used to actually play in competition with some Australian people in an Australian competition. And uh, sometimes, you know, when the game is really tight, right? And uh, only like a few minutes left, you really need the basket. Who do you give the ball to? Well, you don't give it to me, right? Because I'm really small and... Uh, I'm playing among all these big Australian guys and Lebanese and Maori people. In fact, I remember once uh, this guy gave me this nickname. He called me the flea. Okay? Now, I, I don't think he meant it uh, in a derogatory sense, but that kind of gives you a sense of how big they are compared to me, right? So you don't give the ball to me, the flea, but you give it to like the best and tallest and strongest player on your team because you really need the basket, right? And sometimes your best player will score and then we win the game and everybody's really happy. But sometimes you don't, right? Sometimes they come against someone who's even bigger, faster, and stronger. Well, you kind of put your faith in this player and well, the game's over, you lost. That's just the way it is. But I think as we come to the story of Jesus, Luke is trying to tell us, look, this is the long-awaited, long-promised Christ, the eternal king. He's going to rule the world forever and God has sent him into the world. He is God in himself. He comes from heaven. And he's on a mission to save people through the forgiveness of sins. And our response must be to have faith and to follow him. We need to have that response. And Luke is trying to say, look, be certain of it. Be certain of who Jesus is. Be certain of your response to him. But as we come to the last part now of the book of Luke, that certainty becomes even clearer because we see the events of those last few weeks of Jesus' life. So I hope for all of us, we're looking forward to the end of Luke. But even before we get there, I hope that all of us have certainty over the person of Jesus, who he is, his mission, and our response to him. That he is the only one who can save us. He is God in himself. And we need to put our faith and to follow him and to give up everything to actually be his disciple. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really want to thank you for the book of Luke, for how Luke has carefully investigated and collected the real-life events of the person of Jesus. Help us to see with certainty that indeed he is the long-promised eternal Christ, the King forever, and that he is in his person by his very nature, your Son, fully divine and fully God in every way, and that he has come to be our Savior, to save through the forgiveness of sins, and that he is the only one 
who can save us, and he's the only one who is fully God, and he's the only one who is eternal Christ. And therefore, we pray for each and every one of us here as we begin the new year, that our response to him will always be one of faith and to be following him fully in discipleship, to give up all for him. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.